Anyone else not getting the sense that this team's set at second base? I'm sure not. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacovic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. Rodolfo Castro and O'Neill Cruz have a really, really cool relationship. They've been tight for a long time on and off the field. And it was fun to watch it grow. I'm not going to lie. I I had fun with those two guys. In particular, through a series I covered up in Milwaukee where I I felt like I got to know both of them simultaneously. Like they wanted to sit together and talk. And it became a joy to watch them uh, interact in the clubhouse, on the field, batting practice, infield practice, and then, of course, in the games. You saw a couple of remarkable, remarkable double plays turned by those two. And that can become, in and of itself, enticing. We love and have always loved in baseball to romanticize double play combos even though they really don't matter all that much over the course of a 162-game season when compared to something a lot more boring, say, such as how an individual hits. It's fun to think of, uh, you know, the shortstop and the second baseman as a single entity. But here's the thing. They're not. And Cruz is going to be the shortstop, and Castro... We just don't know. Castro's offensive numbers are definitely such that you'd want to take more of a look at him, uh, particularly in the power context. He had 11 home runs, 27 RBIs, in 253 official at-bats, 71 games played. And while that sounds like it's enticing enough, and it probably is, For the short term, he only walked 22 times. He struck out 74 times. Batted 233 with a 299 on base percentage, and that's not what you need. It's just not out of a middle infield position. There's got to be not just pop, but there's got to be some production as well. This team is low enough on production at too many spots, including the infield, and it can't afford any more than that. So, what has to change for Castro? This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. More than anything, Castro needs to shrink his strike zone. He knows that. He knows that. He's told that all the time. He's watching his best bud, Cruz, benefit from exactly that approach as happened over the final six weeks of the 2022 season. 
we didn't just see Cruz all of a sudden start hitting better. What we saw was Cruz become more selective. His strike zone all of a sudden wasn't the entire planet. He wasn't out to show everybody, as he apparently had been in Indianapolis, that he can pretty much send any baseball anywhere he wants. Instead, he shrunk that zone. He worked within a quadrant, and if the pitch wasn't going to be in that quadrant, he was going to lay off, and he was going to lay off even if he was pretty much like 99% sure that it was going to plop into the catcher's mitt for a strike. You're going to run up your case. You are. But you're also going to run into the baseball a whole lot harder once you do commit. Castro is enticing because his swing is something that you can't teach, meaning that it's violent and it is effective. It will send a baseball a very long way. So how do you find the line that's in there? Well, I'm not sure that you do, which is part of my concern here. Castro is the guy who hit a home run in each of his first five games. Why would you want to minimize that literal impact that he could have on your lineup? But at the same time, you can't get on base at a 299 clip in the middle infield, not in this lineup where you can't be hidden and where, by the way, your glove is kind of okay, but it's not spectacular. And then there's another factor in this, and that's that Nick Gonzalez, who by every account is a superior hitter in terms of potential, is going to arrive sooner rather than later at that same position. So is Castro just kind of holding the seat warm? It feels like it. Could Castro compete with, let's say, a Tucapita Marcano or someone like that in spring training? Sure, but would they both be seen as seat holders? Yeah, I think so. I believe that the future of second base for this organization is Gonzalez until proven otherwise for the pure and simple reason that the kid can hit. He's got pop, but he's also got production. Castro, if he's going to beat him out, he's going to have to do it now. He's going to have to do it before Gonzalez even arrives. I really believe that. When we come back, J1Q. comes from Bob, who says, your response in the J1Q on Monday did nothing to improve my perception of the Pirates' ownership and management team ducking, hiding, not good looks for a professional sports team. I wonder how other ownership and management teams in other sports view the Pirates' And their methods, canceling Pirates Fest, avoiding as much contact as possible with fans or media. Is this unique to the Pirates? Honestly, Bob, I have no way of answering that. I cover three teams. I invest everything that I have, time-wise and otherwise, into covering these three teams. So I don't have a whole lot of uh, extra insight to offer on how they do it with, I don't know, the Cardinals or the Angels or whoever. I, I just don't. I do know how to compare them to the Steelers and the Penguins. And 
that's actually more of a mixed bag than one might think. The Pirates will get buried for stuff that the Steelers and Penguins can get away with. That's the short version of it. For example, reporters covering the Steelers get pretty good access to Art Rooney over a certain time of the year. That's principally in January and February when he speaks up. He's looking at certain elements of the the franchise that he oversees directly himself, and he'll make himself available on a somewhat limited basis, meaning to a smaller circle of reporters that cover the team regularly. The general manager, Omar Khan, will be available and quite a bit right through the end of training camp, at which point the Steelers have this universally agreed upon policy that's longstanding that only Mike Tomlin speaks for the Steelers once the ball is kicked. Now, just to interrupt myself here, you know and I know that if Ben Charrington didn't speak at all for six months of baseball, as opposed to the voluminous interviewing that he does and having his own radio show and everything else, the Pirates would be completely crucified over it. The Penguins brass is pretty much available year-round, not as much as they once were, and the new ownership with the Fenway Sports Group isn't anywhere near as accessible as Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle were, and they were barely accessible, certainly for on-the-record stuff. By comparison, and just looking at the ownership level, Bob Nutting is the most accessible by a mile out of the local ownerships. Charrington is the most accessible GM out of the local GMs. And Derek Shelton only speaks about 200 times a year, so that's not even a really fair comparison point because baseball managers are the most quoted people on planet Earth. So don't get too caught up in perception when it comes to this sort of thing. I don't agree at all with canceling Pirates Fest. I don't agree at all with management not being around to speak in the offseason, not to me, but to you. To you, you're the one who should be hearing from them, not me. If it comes through me, awesome, great, whatever. If they go directly to you, that's the part that appears to be lacking at the moment. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. Let's do another one of these tomorrow. 